You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus. I am back. It's the 28th of May, 2021, and it is week 27 of our Q&A. It's nice once again that you've tuned in to hear what I've got to say. And thank you again for your questions and for all of your um, inquiries this week. Um, And that goes to the people who are booking the lessons again and some of them I haven't seen for a while. And uh, some people who are starting their journey on the guitar or on the bass guitar or vocally with me. Um, And I'm looking forward to working with you all. Um, It's a lovely sunny day and I'm recording this on the day it goes out, as I spoke about last week. That's where I am at the moment. I allow myself a bit of time on a Friday to do that. Um, And I think I'll get straight on with it. There's nothing really to report other than um, there are a few shows coming in and um, there are some lessons coming in. Um, And the reason I say that is because I know I'm not alone in that. I know there are a few other uh, performers out there and um, guitar teachers and music teachers who um, I'm sure are having the same inquiries and um, amen to that because it's nice that uh, music is still, not that it was ever going to go anywhere, but it's still there in a very, very big way. I want to get straight on with it with a question from Super Larry. Super Larry Hiya, Super Larry. Super Larry comes from Landon and he says, Hi, Marcus. I just wondered the best and most affordable guitar cables. Um, very quick answer to that. The ones that I've found to be the best. By the way, Super Larry, before I do anything, I must just do my disclaimer. And that is that all the advice I give is um, based on the knowledge that I have accumulated and the equipment that I have used. There are a million ways for you to find what you want and everybody is different and has different preferences. So um, again, that's my disclaimer that my advice is based on my knowledge and equipment that I've used to get the results that I needed to get. And if it helps you, I'm good with that. So Larry, I'm assuming you're not really called Super Larry and you are just Larry. Um, uh, Whirlwind uh, were notoriously the most popular guitar cables for years and as far as I'm aware, still are the most affordable and the most... Um, used. They're the ones I've seen the most as I've gone across the UK for when when people have said, um, you know, give you a lead for a DI, it's usually a whirlwind. Um, but, uh, I mean, there are, there are places like Gear for Music that do gear for, that do um, cables that are pretty good. Um, there's not a lot wrong with them. But um, if it's a case of playing professionally and performing professionally myself, um, I always like Whirlwind if I could get them because they were just good. Although there's a German company and it's T-H-O-M-A-N-N and some people call it Thoman and some people call it Tommen. Um, the jury's out on actually how it's pronounced, but they do a varied range of guitar cables. Same with everything else. Avoid the gold-plated ones. They'll tell you they sound different. They really don't. Um, and they're just dipped in gold. They're the same old nickel stuff underneath so to be honest with you, Larry, um, Whirlwind, although they're you know they're they're probably twenty quid a, th- a pop for a good one, um, at least, um, but you you get what you pay for, and um, they are affordable. I, I consider something like twenty quid to be fairly affordable because you'll probably get eight to ten years out of them. Um, I still, I mean, I've had years out of. I've got two that I use in uh, in the band, and I've had the same two for years and years. They they just seem to be pretty bulletproof. Now I've said it, they'll start playing me up, of course. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, Whirlwind tend to be the the best ones. Uh, John, John's from Suffolk. Hello, John. Um, Marcus, recording vocal with reverb and takeoff afterwards. Is there a way? 
because I find that I don't perform as I'd like to when I'm recording from home. Hello, mate. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are several ways. I've come across this recently, and uh, I know I'm probably not reinventing the wheel here, and probably people will say, wow, you know, it's really not that, that technical. It's just that sometimes the obvious is staring you in the face. And you don't really see it until you're under pressure when somebody says, can I sing like this? And then you have to do it. Um, that happens a lot in music where when you're suddenly under pressure, you find yourself just instinctively doing something to get you out of trouble. And then you're, you're like, wow, that works. We'll keep that. Um, what I found, uh, John, is um, I, I use um, an audio box USB 96 by Presonus. Um, but they're pretty much much of a muchness in terms of um, the way that they're set up. I, I can't really say that in terms of quality, some are better than others because uh, I'm sure they are. And I'm sure every, every single one has different processing speeds and all that sort of stuff. But let's just say it's a box that you, pl that that you plug everything in and then you have a left and a right out. Now, the mistake that a lot of people make, and I am no exception, I made the mistake for ages, is using the headphone socket on the audio box itself because then you're getting what comes out of the audio box and it's a dry sound because you're recording a vocal you don't want it to sound um, dead as a doornail you need to have some expression in there you need to sing it and you need to sing it with energy but when you're listening to it and your voice is as dry as a bone you don't always get the performance so how do you how do you get reverb on it that you don't keep well, the obvious answer, which again, took me a while, but look, that's how it goes, was the left and right that comes out of the back of that, I run into my, um, I've got a Pro FX, Mackie Pro FX mixer that then powers my speakers. And what I do is I use the headphone socket on that. So rather than using a headphone socket on the box, which gives you the dry signal, what I do is I take the left and right from the box into my mixer, and then I can EQ it and add, I mean, it adds reverb to everything. So it's like a blanket reverb. It will add to the vocal and the guitars and everything, but it'll make it sound nice and big, like it, like you're on stage, like a big echoey sound. So I use that headphone socket. So left and right from your audio box, or your, well, you know, your, your sound card or whatever people call it. Um, run that into your mixer and then use your mixer headphone socket um, after you've added some reverb to the input where it's, where it's coming into, if that makes sense. Um, and then I find that you get the performance because it's very, very difficult actually sometimes, as I've said, to try and perform as a singer when you don't feel it, when it's dry. Because guitar players, and there was another question actually, let me scroll down from Simon, um, where was Simon? Simon was at Aylesbury, Aylesbury. Um, and Simon had said, should I add effects on the guitars before or afterwards? There's been arguments for that, Simon, um, which is uh, sometimes you, th th there are several people who like to record a guitar clean and then add the effect afterwards. But if you're using overdrive and delay and stuff like that, um, the guitar doesn't sustain in the same way as it would, and you don't play in the same way. So I always think that guitars, you need to get the sound just right so you don't need to tweak them too much. But vocals, you really want them to be nice and clean when you listen back to them. Um, what I found as well by running the, the, the thing like that, uh, I'll come back to you in a sec, Simon, 
um, by running the, the, the vocals and by running your sound card through the Pro Effects is because you could get that nice echoey sound. You could get a, a rough idea, even when the vocal was on it, of how it's going to sound when it's mixed. You could add like a blanket reverb to it and just give it a little bit of life. Um, so that was, um, you know, but that's what I did, John. Um, Simon, you asked about guitars and, and, or effects before or afterwards. Um, vocal effects you want to put on afterwards um, because then you can tweak it and get it just right. Um, guitar effects, the, uh, the the jury's out, but I would say 90 percent of guitar players get the sound first um, and mate and, and kind of play the sound that works, and then they don't have to tweak it much afterwards. So they get the echo and everything like that. I think it's very rare that a guitar player will play a piece and then suddenly listen back to the overall mix and go too much echo on that. I don't like that. Um, so you need to try and um, tweak that. Maybe spend a little bit more time. Um, on your guitar sound or, or your bass sound or, or, you know, whatever it is. Some people like to put vocals uh, through effects before they record it, but then it's stuck on there. And you can't then um, take it back off again because you've recorded whatever came out. The other thing that might be worth mentioning, actually, is um, somebody else, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't an email, but somebody that I uh, work with closely asked me the other day about Audacity and... Um, I said I like to use it for getting some tracks down and for fast demos and stuff like that. The thing to remember on Audacity is, unlike most of the other um, programs or um, workstations or whatever you want to call them, studios, um, you once you add the effect, it stays. I mean, you can undo it, um, and I always try and save a nice clean one and then sort of uh, do a copy of that and mix it, and if it doesn't sound right, I can go back to the clean one. But once you add an effect, it stays on. So if you listen back to it, you know, three months later, you won't be able to then take that effect off. So that's obviously one of the pitfalls of Audacity. Um, but then having said that, if you take the time and get the effects right, you shouldn't really need to tweak them again later on. So there, there are two arguments. And, and to be fair, I love Audacity because I'm old school, but there are plenty of people who, who don't and, and want to use uh, Pro Tools. Um, uh, I think it's uh, FL Studio is out there. There's um, obviously Sonar, there's Traction, there's um, Logic Pro on the Macs. Um, doesn't cross over. As far as I'm aware, they haven't made a Windows version of that yet, but Logic Pro on the Mac. Um, and that's quite, um, that you know, lots of people use that. But um, I saw an interview with Noel Gallagher on telly the other day, and he said that, because um, people keep talk, talking about the Oasis reunion, and he had said, that um, it's pretty sad, really, that people are, are, are sort of pinning their hopes on two 50-year-old musicians who have been in the game for years because there's no new Oasis or new Beatles coming through. And working in a band is hard work. It's it's hard graft. It's difficult to do that. And um, there, these days you can make an album from your living room without ever having a band. And to be fair, I do that with a matching. But, that, you know, but I do play live. Um so there are a lot of different arguments for um, different ways of of doing things. But um, Simon, it's a case of um, you want to try and, if you can, get a bit of effect when you're recording and get the guitar sounds right so that they're just, they just sing and they just, they just fit in the mix. Um, vocals, you want to record dry and then add the effects afterwards because some vocals like to... Um, have vocalists, I should say, like to have lots of echo or reverb. Some of them like to have delay. 
Um, some of them like to have all different effects that they like to have on their vocal. And if you have a clean slate, you can then tweak it and get it exactly right. Whereas if you record it with reverb, you then can't take the reverb off afterwards. But guitars tend to be different because you play slightly differently um, when you're recording them. So I hope that that's made sense to um, to some of you. Um, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll see how you go. But thank you for your questions. Do you have a song in your head? Turn your ideas into full songs. With a team of professional musicians, engineers and producers, we can turn even the simplest demo into full studio quality recordings. Go to www.innovationstudios.com. Sally in Manning Tree. Sally says, Hello, Marcus. I love your podcast. Thank you for entertaining us every Friday at 6 p.m. <laughs> oh, shameless plug. Um, I just wondered, are there things best avoided when you're signing a contract with, with a venue or an agent? Um, hello, Sally. Yeah, I mean, there are certain things you need to do when you're signing. Not that I'm going to run any agents down or any venues down um, or anything like that. I'm just going to be straight with you. Um, the things best avoided, first of all, make sure you read it. Um, because the things that, uh, the slip ups that, that we've made over the years, um, that, or, or at least we could have done if we, if we weren't meticulously reading the contracts, some of the venues have a contract that says, um, that, um, you'll, when you sign it, it means that you will not perform within a 10 mile radius of that venue three months before or three months afterwards. And of course, if you do this for a living and you're out every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sometimes you're in the same town for two nights at two different venues. So I've come across that a few times and uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, I, th I seem to think that some of these venues and or agents seem to think that that's the only show you do like all year. And if you're based in Essex and you can't perform within, you know, three, three months, it's something like within five miles of the venue within three months or something like that. But you'll come across that. I mean, it seems absolutely ridiculous that they would say, come and play for us in March, but you can't do anything before March and you can't do anything um, until July or August in that area or in that town or postcode or within five miles. And you sort of go, well, that's crazy. So that that's one of the ones I've, I've come up uh, across as well. That was um, with regards to shows. Um, the other ones are your playing times. Always make sure your playing times are pretty clear on the on the contract because otherwise they'll they'll mess about with you. Um, if you get there at eight, they want you on at quarter past eight, and you say no, no, no. Contract says eight forty-five. So look for your playing times. Make sure your playing times are, are there. Make sure your fee is is exactly what you're asking for and doesn't say subject to change on it because we've had that as well. Fee subject to change depending on numbers. Well, that's just ridiculous. Um, and also, one of, one of our, our favourite ones, we, we were signing a contract, or looking to sign a contract anyway, we had a few on the table. Um, and it wasn't a record deal, but it was a, a, a sort of a management deal. And this is a good one. Remember this one. This, this might take you by surprise, but you might have come across it. Um, no member of the band is allowed to perform without the other three members at any time. So when I was in Wall to Wall... Um, I wasn't able to go and do a solo show if I'd have signed the contract, which I didn't. But it, I wasn't able to to go and do a solo show or appear anywhere as a guest or even perform karaoke or perform anywhere in public without the other three members 
because we were signed as a band and as a unit. And therefore, it would have been a, in, in the eyes of the promotion um, or the, the management agency, um, a breach of contract and um, what they call a difference of um, opinion or I, I can't think what the phrase is, but it's kind of um, it, it, it's a conflict of interest for one of us to have like um, just a f playing a few shows solo when we had all these gigs booked as a band and wall to wall never signed a contract with any um, agencies or anything like that. We pretty much did it ourselves. Um, and although we did do some shows for agents, um, we weren't managed by any agents. We managed ourselves and, and we did so pretty successfully. And I've done pretty, I think, pretty fairly successfully for 30 years. Um, we worked as a unit. We worked as a, um, as a, as a band and we worked with... Um, we had family around us who were good with contracts and good with stuff like that and good with phone calls. And we worked as a, as a big unit and kind of dealt with it ourselves. But um, that was one. So where, where was I? Can't perform without the other members of the band. And you can't um, perform up to three months before or three months afterwards in that area. And it, once you sign that contract, that's crazy. You, you, that, that's, but venues, obviously, they want to protect their interest. They want to make sure they get as many people through the doors as they can. And if you're doing a door split on a Saturday night and you're playing a door split on a Friday night, well, most of the bands would look at it and you're shooting yourself in the foot anyway if you do that. Um, uh, so, so you know, you've got to be careful with things like that. But they are the two of the most, the more ridiculous um, contracts that I've, you know, things I've seen in contracts, um, which is... You know, things like that. You get the odd one that says, um, you know, the cancellation policies and, you, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but the, the, the few, the, the ones to look for are pretty much, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Also, arrival time. Have a look at the arrival time. If you're a band and you know you can go on without uh, a sound check, some of these places, they want you there at one o'clock in the afternoon. And you sound check at one o'clock. You're not on till ten or nine, so you're killing eight hours. Um, so you know something like that. You can say no, that's, we're not signing this until we can amend that. Can we arrive at five and not make a noise, or can we arrive at eight or uh, or seven or eight and not do a sound check? Or some of the bigger venues, the Butlins, the Pontins, the the Warners, the Parks, the the um, the big uh, you know park park resorts, the even the big festivals or things like that, say big festivals, I mean big at grassroots level, Glaston Budget and stuff like that, and beer and sausage and cider festival. Um, even them, I mean, they, they don't really need you to sound check. They, you turn up, you do a line check. So most of the time, if you're a good band and you know what your sound is, you pretty much know how to do your job. And, and the sound check is really just to make sure everything's working. Well, if the difference between making sure everything's working is seven or eight hours... Just get up there and make it. Make sure everything's working and, and check your monitors and go on because within half a song, you can make a quick adjustment and get on with your gig. Um, so it's things like that, arrival times. Obviously, where the agents are concerned, make sure they're taking the right percentage. Um, the, the average is about 15% um, of the show, which, uh, to be fair, is, has always been pretty fair. It's in the, the, the agent's best interest to get as much money as they can for you because they obviously they'll get more out of it. Um, sometimes they might price you out of something if they push a bit too hard and try and go in a bit too heavy. And, they, and the great thing we found, although, again, I'm not running any agents down, 
we found about working for ourselves is that because once you work for yourself and you and you don't have to pay an agent or you don't have to cover anybody else's money, you can go in and say, well, look, I know you normally pay 250 um, We're normally 300 quid, but I tell you what, we do it for 250 because there's no... You know, there's no no agent or any there was there was no agent involved. We would we didn't have to answer to anybody, so we'd go in there and and uh, we might say, well, look, can we just do like you know an hour and a half instead of an hour and forty five, um, and just take a little bit less money? We'll work with you, and and you have more flexibility when you're working for yourself, providing you know how to do it and you know how to you know talk the talk and walk the walk, and can do the job at the end of the day. Um, it's nice to be flexible. I, I've t- I've I teach guitar and I've taught people over the years who were students and said, "Look, I just don't uh, I don't earn any money. I'd love to have lessons every week, but I don't earn enough to cover it." And and because I didn't have to pay a teacher or because I didn't have to answer to an agent or a company I was working for, I was able to say to them, "Look, all right, look, instead of doing twenty quid a week, um, why don't you why don't you just do?" You know, I tell you what, why don't you just do 45 minutes and give me 15 quid a week? All right. And then that way you're saving a fiver a week or do half an hour or whatever. But when you're obviously you have your own targets to meet and you have your own, um, you know, you have people that you have to cover their money as well, i.e. agents, 15 percent. Um, I'm not saying don't use an agent. I'm just saying these are the, these are the pitfalls. Sometimes you ask me and I'm telling you um, or advising you, I should say, I don't really tell anybody anything. Um, that you need to look for. So if you sign a contract that says you won't perform without any other member of the band for f- three months before or three months afterwards, you could end up cancelling four solo shows just to play that one. That's just ridiculous. So look for that. Make sure that the um, agent isn't taking, you know, 30 or 40%, which, to be fair, most of them don't. They, they're normally okay. Read the small print at the bottom. You know, the cancellation policy as well, because sometimes the cancellation policy is that if the show is cancelled less than a month in advance, you still get your full money. And uh, there are agents out there who will, you'll sign, you know, you'll do that, but they leave that bit out. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you suddenly say, oh, that one cancelled. And I say, no, no, it was all right. I let them, I let them off that one. You go, no, hang on a minute. That's not what we signed. We signed a contract that said, so, so look for little things like that. As most people in this music industry, we're not divas. We just sort of go, look, we, we turn up, we play the gig. We might take a deposit beforehand sometimes, but we turn up, we do the gig, we get our money, we give you an invoice and we go home. That's it. When there are agents involved, there are cancellation policies where you might may or may not get your money if it's two or three weeks in advance. It, it, and it can get... It, there, there are so many other little pitfalls... Uh, that you can fall into, particularly performing without the other members and particularly um, just not not playing that venue within three months. I'm trying to think if there's anything else um, other than things like arrival times and sound check times. And um, obviously all contracts should stipulate that, um, you know, what they expect from you to what they expect you to do, make sure that they're you know, you're doing what they're that, that you're doing what they expect you to do. And they are expecting you to do what you do. If, if it, at the bottom it suddenly says, um, although there's always a contractual thing that says any other duty is relevant to the post, in you know, which is like pretty much anything, um, 
in music, it tends to be that you know you, you, you sign your contract, you say, okay, two 45-minute sets for music and dancing or two 60-minute sets for music and entertainment or for or 60-minute set for sing-along. Just make sure it says what you're supposed to do because you don't suddenly want to sign a contract and then a week before suddenly realise that, hang on a minute, they've asked me to do a Cockney show. I didn't realise, I thought it was just me. So make sure that what you're doing on there is exactly what you're supposed to be doing and what you've been asked to do. Make sure it says it on the contract. I'm not saying, this isn't a horror story. The ones I've worked for have usually been perfectly fine. There's been very little issue with any of them. But sometimes um, things do happen. Um, and sometimes it's an honest mistake. Sometimes you sign a contract, you don't quite read it, and all of a sudden you perform within two or three months and you're in breach of contract and you're thinking, wow, what's... Yeah, you signed it. So make sure you read it and make sure that what's on it is exactly what you've agreed before you sign it. All right? Thank you for your question. Chris says, Hi, Marcus. I find myself mimicking singers. I wondered if that was a good thing or a bad thing. What are your thoughts? Um... I don't think it's a bad thing, um, Chris. I think um, in, in the industry that we work in, um, I suppose there, is, there are so many tribute bands where, where technically you are trying to mimic the singer. Um, and you need to, if you're singing a particular song, you need to work on and listen to where they breathe and uh, how their vocal attack is and stuff like that and where they swell notes and how they hold back notes and where the head voice is and where the chest voice is and when it goes powerful and when it doesn't and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing when you when you first start working on something. If you um, if if you're doing like a poor imitation of them, then that that's slightly different. But I think initially you need to have the spirit of the singer, rather than singing exactly like them. You need to have the spirit of the singer, I suppose. I mean, um, and I always say focus on the vocal rhythm. Of them, and by the vocal rhythm, I mean the way that they sing things, the way that they attack the odd word, and the way that they um, sing some words in a different way. There are singers like uh, Elton John. El Elton's voice is a instrument, an an instrument in itself. Meatloaf tends to fire bullets at you, you know, just a constant little, constant, just, 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 just bang, 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 just, just constantly sings at you. Although obviously you know he can do the ballad stuff as well but people are notorious for the vocal rhythm you know sirens are screaming and the fires are howling way down in the valley tonight if you just do it as sirens screaming in the valley tonight, it doesn't work so you have to kind of mimic that attack um elton john you can never know what it's like you have to have that the rhythm of it almost to make it fit um so what you do, if I'm singing an Elton song, I, I kind of tap into the rhythm of the of the song and the, rather than trying to sound like Elton John because only Elton John sounds like Elton John. Um, actually, Reginald Dwight sounds like Elton John. Um, but, you know, and only Meatloaf sounds like Meatloaf and only Ronan, Ronan sounds like Ronan. And, you know, you sing these songs and you think, okay, look, I try and tap into the way it's sung rather than trying to sing exactly like the singer. But when you first start working, if you get to a point where you sound really like them, there's a living to be made on the tribute circuit. So that's not a bad thing. You could you could end up performing somewhere and you say, well, when I sing, I sound exactly like, you know, Gary Barlow or whatever. You say, well, there's a living in that. Then I'll go out as a Gary tribute or Gary Barlow songbook or whatever, if you look a little bit like them. You just don't know. And and um, also, apart from anything else, this is something worth picking up on. A lot of these backing track sites, 
um, when you when you get the backing track, they like to have um, sound alike. Uh, obviously, the backing tracks are sound alike, but they like to have fairly sound alike singers. So uh, you can make some money by sounding like an artist and recording something that uh, is like a cover of the original. Um, you know, and released independently. Years ago, you used to have the Top of the Pops albums, and they were dreadful um, sort of cover versions rather than being the original artist, but they didn't have to pay the original artist the, the money, and they could. It, it was one of those 70s things. And the Top of the Pops albums were always girls in bikinis on the front, you know, um, which, hey, I've got nothing against girls in bikinis, right? I, I've no problem at all. I'd, I'd probably buy an album on the strength of it, but... Um, it was kind of a, a market employer that they had where Pickwick Records was another one and you had these copies or covers of songs and they were sung as close to the original as possible. So you had these singers kind of mimicking, um, you know, the, the, the song to get as close as they could to it. Um, strange situation, but look, you know, um, there's, there, there was many, many a living to be made in the music industry in the 70s and 80s. Um, and when there was money in it, there's not so much money in it these days as there was. Um, but, um, yeah, it's not a bad thing to mimic a singer because then you're tapping into the rhythm of the song. You're tapping into the breathing patterns. You're tapping into the vocal attack. You're tapping into the feeling of the song. Um, but the, the the danger is that people might say, oh, you know, he just he's trying to be Gary Barlow. He's trying to be Robbie. He's trying to be Liam Gallagher. He's trying to... You know, I just think it's getting the mix right where you sound enough like it, like the song because you've got the rhythm and the breathing, but you're not trying to do some sort of cheap imitation of them. Um, but um, it's it's not a bad thing. It's very much a I'd say it's sixty forty in favour of being a good thing. Um, and uh, obviously, I wish you all the best with it. And if you do need any singing lessons, hey, you know where to find me. All right. Barry says, I have a lot of fun singing at home, but it's very difficult to make the transition into singing in the studio with the band because I'm so used to singing quietly. What can I do? Um, hello, Barry. You spoke about this the other week, mate. Um, the old cushion in the face to practice your big notes. But um, a, a good way of practicing if you drive is to put the tracks on in your car and you can sing as loud as you want in your car, providing you haven't got passengers. Um, but you can. You can you can really get uh, some work done and strengthen the vocal and work on the vocal. Um, I've come across it a few times with various singers who sing at home and or, or actually I've come across it with guitar players who have neighbours who don't want to hear them playing all the time so they play at home without a plectrum and then they come and see me and they're allowed to make a bit of noise and they sort of go, oh, I don't really know what to do because I'm so used to playing without a plectrum at home now because I don't want to make a noise. Um <clears throat> that I'm kind of stuck, um, you know, use, using my hand to play rather than using a plectrum. So it happens with a few instruments, but singing is the big one because it sounds like you're having a big argument or something if you start belting a line out at home and singing singing really loud in your kitchen. So if you can practice in the car, it's good. If you're practicing, sometimes find a, a corner of the room and um, or the furthest corner from the neighbours if you can find that. Um, sometimes um, singing, um, as I say, just singing into a cushion or singing into the curtains is quite good. If you stand in front of the curtains and you sing into the curtains, um, that will eat up a lot of the sound. If you've got curtains maybe at the, um, uh, maybe in the living room or if you've got curtains in the, uh, let's say, at the patio doors or something, sometimes close the curtains and sing into the curtain. That eats up a fair bit of the sound. If the curtains open, it will bounce all around the kitchen. 
But in my case, sometimes I used to have nice thick curtains on the patio doors. Um, I'd close them and sing about maybe six inches away from the curtain. And it would just absorb the sound. Um, and I found that um, that helped a little bit as well. That was quite a, a good way. Singing into a corner of a room sometimes absorbs the sound. Singing into a cushion if you're working on a particularly high range or a high note can be quite good. Um, but really, if you're able to get out in the car, take some backing tracks with you and do some work in the car as you're driving along. But don't leave the window open and pull up at lights while you're belting out really loudly because people will look at you strange. All right. But um, it really isn't anything to worry about. Um, and I'm sure you will find a way. Um, if not, get the boys to turn down a bit in rehearsals because everything's louder than everything else by the sounds of it. Thanks for your question. Innovation Studios has all the tools you would need to bring your music to life. Get in touch to book a free consultation. This is our opportunity to chat about your music, listen to demos, and if you're unsure, find which pricing would fit you best. There are no hidden costs. Once a booking is made and price agreed, there are no further hidden charges. Our team at Innovation Studios are professional musicians, and we know that sometimes a recording may run into an extra hour or an extra day. Your original price will stand. Guidance that will help you make a great sounding album at an affordable price. www.innovationstudios.com Craig in Watford. Hi Marcus and all innovation. Are there any venues that you've turned down over the years and why? Well, I can't name names, uh, Craig. Um... Usually, if we've turned it down, we've we've turned it down because we were offered it at a particular time of the year when it wasn't really um, a good time. So the big university towns, um, you know, obviously the Cambridge and Oxford and things like that, but Bristol has a big university, um, Suffolk and a lot of the university towns. If, if we played there... Um, over like a half term or over the summer holidays, we knew we wouldn't make anything because a, a lot of the audience was predominantly students um, and would come to the show. And um, usually there were deals on, you know, uh, back then it would have been like pound a pint or something, student night. And of course, if there are no students in the town because they've all gone home for the holidays, we'd turn it down. And if it and if it happened that they, that was the only dates that we were offered, then uh, it wasn't feasible for us to play there. Also, one that where we did come unstuck actually was we played a show in Liverpool um, over uh, the Grand National weekend, which we made a massive mistake there. And subsequently, when we were offered shows in Liverpool or that area over Grand National weekend, subsequently we turned it down because everybody is um, at Aintree. You know, if you're playing in Liverpool, most of the people are going to that. And also shows in Manchester, if we knew there was a big. Um, chance that uh, the um, game would be or the world or the or let's say the final one of the finals was likely to be Man United or Man City um, we try not to play over that weekend I mean you can't plan that far in advance we've had where we come unstuck a few times is you book a show and it turns out to be uh, that they're showing the boxing that night and um, then you, you don't go on till late but that that's a little bit unforeseen um, but if you know that um the World Cup final, Football Cup final, is going to be on a Saturday night. And you, you know, you're looking at your dates and you're thinking, OK, look, it's going to kick off at eight o'clock. 
don't book anything that night because nobody's going to really just if by some miracle England get to the final. Um, but also a lot of people like to watch the, the, the football as a neutral um, and uh, or, or any sporting event. So there are certain times we've turned down venues. We never really turned down venues because of uh, how they looked or the reputation that they had. Um, although there were one or two that we sort of went, oh, I don't know about that. We, we turned down a couple of venues that we thought were too big. Um, you know, we were offered the cliffs um, on a door split, which sounds really nice to go and play the cliffs, but goodness me. I mean, what, what I say a door split, it was obviously a contractual agreement. Um, you can't, a, a, a venue like the Cliffs Pavilion doesn't do a door split, but it was kind of a, a ticket deal. And, and we're thinking, well, we're never going to do that. We did the town gate and uh, we were earmarked to, to do the palace in um, in Southend, um, which hopefully will come in at some point. That, uh, that holds about 350. But um, something like the Cliffs, um, for a tribute band, you, you're running all the risks and you sort of go, it's a bit too big for us. I think it's a bit too big and we really shouldn't. Um, be here or we've sometimes um, turned down a venue because what they were asking us to play we didn't think it was relevant i.e. if you're working um, maybe a, a social club on a Saturday night and you turn up and uh, they want you to do an Oasis tribute and when you and, and you know that it's notoriously um, you know Fred and Margaret sat there with their uh, you know, with with their drinks and waiting for the bingo, they don't want Liam Gallagher wandering out and doing forty five minutes. So we would feel sometimes that it was a wrong venue, it was a wrong sort of place. And promoters, of course, and agents would say, "No, we'll put you in there. We'll get more money." They don't care where you play and who you play to. They just care that you go and you do get your money and you get out of there. But the truth of it is, you you wouldn't be invited back if you went in there and made a load of racket. And once you take a band like Oasis and you turn it right down and put them in the corner. How can that work? So um, we were turned down, you know, if we didn't think that uh, we were right for that venue or we didn't think it was going to work or it was a bad time for us to make any money on it because there were other sporting events or other big things going on. Um, you know, and there are lots of things that you, you, you try and plan ahead. Some things are unforeseen, you know, big boxing matches, you know, a, a, a British team or an English football team suddenly doing really, really well in a big tournament. Um, they're a little bit unforeseen. The FA Cup final being, you know, Man United against Man City and you're playing Manchester that night. Well, you you, you probably book that six, seven months in advance when they're still playing the third round matches. It's a bit unforeseen. You can't really plan ahead. And to be honest, um, if you're in Manchester watching um, Man United versus Man City from Wembley, in a pub, I'd imagine it's pretty a pretty good atmosphere, providing you shut up and don't say an awful lot if you've got an accent like I've got. Um, so we, we turned down a few over the years, but it, it was very rarely for a bad reason. Um, sometimes they would come to us and we'd just say, no, it's not it's not for you. It, it, you know, this, this isn't for you. I know it looks good on paper, but it, it, it really isn't for you. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a hit on that because we, we're not really... Um, the sort of people who will just play anywhere and take the money and, and run. We want people to have a nice evening. And I know people will sort of go, well, it's, it's not it's not about making a living. It is it is about making a living, but you won't make a living out of that. You'll play that, that show once if you're lucky. And that's if you get through the whole show without people telling you it's too loud. Do you play any waltzes and foxtrots? Do you do any 60s stuff? You know, and there's two of us there with sunglasses on and wigs and a Union Jack guitar belting out, some might say, 
you know, you kind of know you're in trouble there. So that's why we've turned down venues over the years because they were either too big or we weren't right for them. Um, or university towns, we just knew there wouldn't be anybody in. Um, we knew that the crowd would be predominantly students and they weren't in town. Alice, last question. Hi, Marcus. Do you have a favourite album cover? Is it difficult to decide what to put on your own albums? Yeah, it is a bit, Alice, although sometimes um, I'll have an idea of what I'm going to do before I've really done it. Sometimes it's self-explanatory. Um, Storm Before the Calm, I just had a split picture of a, of a, of a, a tree and it was kind of half of it was, was an autumn one without any leaves and half of it was a summer one with all the leaves on it and that was that. Was that. Live Here, Die Here was a spotlight, um, which was basically live and die under the spotlight. Um, 20 Forever was a picture that was sent to me by a friend of mine. I said I was playing in a care home and um, that we, we were talking about it and um, and they said, you know, playing a load of rock stuff in a care home and somebody sent me that picture as, a, as a, I don't know whether it was someone they knew or a, a relative of theirs or someone they knew, but they sent it to me and I, I thought, well, that was quite good because 20 Forever, the idea was that, you know, um, you're 20 Forever in your own mind and um, I thought it was quite good. Uh, quite good idea. Lonely in a crowded room is um, a picture of somebody with a big space all around them, um, and it kind of reflects how how their mind pattern works. Um, and I have an album which I'm currently writing, which I know already is going to be called Midnight for One Second, and uh, the front cover is pretty self-explanatory. It's eleven fifty nine fifty nine, and on the back it's oh 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 one. So basically. Um, in the middle of those two covers is this album that, uh, believe me, will be slightly longer than one second, but that's kind of self-explanatory with things like that. But I love a good album cover that um, I think just, you know, it, I mean, obviously stuff like Sgt. Pepper and, and uh, the Beatles album covers are, are iconic. Um, some of the Oasis album covers definitely, definitely maybe is one of the greatest um, album covers. Um, but then the Beatles White Album, the simplicity of that, just nothing on it at all, just that, there you are, stands out on the shelves. Um, I suppose my, my favourite um, album cover in terms of artwork um, is probably um, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden, which I, I just think is, I had it on my wall for a while because I thought back then, you know, album covers really meant something um, and they were vinyl. And they were nice and big in your hand, and 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 you'd you'd look at the album art and go, wow, you know. And then they condensed that album art down to a cassette, which just didn't look anywhere near. And then they'd um, then they condense it down to a CD, which is kind of a much smaller version of the vinyl art, but it didn't do the same thing. So I think Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, Iron Maiden, is is a is a beautiful piece of artwork. Um, it's a bit dark, you know, a bit strange looking when you see it, but it's just a lovely album cover. And even the back album and, and the artwork inside, which I think is the clairvoyant, um, is just a masterpiece of, of artwork. It's, I think it's Derek Riggs who used to do the Iron Maiden stuff. But I would I'd put that up there as an album, which, uh, an album cover, which to me I've always loved. I've always thought was a great album cover. Definitely, maybe, 
uh, great album cover, Help by the Beatles, when they're doing the semaphore on the front, which actually is, uh, I believe, uh, although they, they thought they were spell, spelling out help, I believe, and, and if there's anybody out there who does semaphore or can tell me, but I think it's uh, N-U-J-V they're actually spelling out. Nujov, which is not such a great, catchy album title, um, as far as I'm aware. So growing up, I always loved Help um, as uh, a great album cover. Um, and Iron Maiden, when I was in you know my, my teens, probably late teens, um, I've always thought were great album covers. But I think an album cover sometimes um, can um, lull you into a false sense of security. You can buy a, a, an album based on a really, really catching um, album cover, which actually, when you when you get it home, you think, oh my god, you know the songs on here are terrible. And then there are some albums which are absolutely fantastic. Metallica, the Black Album. There's nothing on that, but the music is amazing. Um, if you bought that just purely on album cover, you'd sort of go, what's that about? I think that's a nod to Spinal Tap, actually. The the Smell the Glove, which is literally just a black album, nothing on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not difficult to choose what I what I kind of have on my albums. I try and work ahead and try and get a title or working title for an album way in advance. And I find if I kind of design um, a template of the artwork, it kicks me up the backside to get things moving. And I think I've got this album and it, and it starts the ball rolling because I think, OK, I've got an album cover and an album title, but I've got nothing to put on it. So time to write some songs, you know. Um, but that's a really good question. As a matter of fact, all the questions were good. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed answering those questions. Um, I'll be back next week when we're into June. June! How scary is that? So I'll be back next week. Um, don't forget www.innovationstudios.com is the website. Um, innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com is the email if you want to ask me questions. You can also find me on Twitter at Innovation Studios. You can find me on Facebook at Innovation Studios or Grassroots Music UK. Um, and obviously you can contact me um, through the website. You can click on there and ask me questions in all different ways. If you know me, you can text me the questions. Or if you're having a particularly bad night, a sleepless night, and you want to ask me more than one question because you can't sleep, um, write them down and forward them to me and I'll, um, I'll make sure I answer them. Um, that was a great one. I've really enjoyed it. I'll be back next week, all right, and I look forward to your company then. Until then, I'm going to get out of here. Yours in Music, signing off. Bye-bye for now.